This week at our house, we watched a lot of the Olympics in the evening. I looked forward to it. (laughs) We would have dinner, and then I would say, yes, we get to watch the Olympics. And I thought this week it was a good week to be an American. But the athletes showed up well. We won a lot of medals. But then they also did really well afterwards when they were being interviewed. When the American women's hockey team won gold, remember they defeated Canada in a shootout? But what was so great to me was that instinctively they knew that it wasn't just a one team member win, but it was a group win. And so they all skated together to the middle of the ice and they, and they hugged one another. They knew that it wasn't just a one-person victory, but that the victory belonged to the group. And when the women won gold in cross country for the first time in 42 years, one of the skiers said to the camera, to win gold in a team event means so much more to me than if I were just to win an individual gold medal. But then my favorite, my very favorite gold medal was, of course, men's curling, right? Wasn't that the best? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so in an interview after the win, I can't get enough of these guys. I think it's because they're just so normal, right? They seem so approachable. So in an interview after the win, John Schuster, whose name was declared a verb in the Urban Dictionary for failing at an important moment because of his past losses in the Olympics. So if you really mess something up, it's called Schustering. So he was given a chance to, like, claim the victory, to clear his name, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said to the camera, every one of us, Every one of us contributed to this gold medal. All of us were important. The Olympics for me this week certainly did illustrate what Brene Brown was talking about, the importance of strength and need. And as you hear this familiar parable this morning from Luke chapter 15, I want you to listen for that dynamic in this parable. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to the father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion He ran and he put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out 
a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. This is the story of God. For the people of God. Would you say with me, thanks be to God. This parable is only found in Luke's gospel. And I see a couple of images of independence without dependence, without need. The younger son asks for his inheritance early, before his father dies. It's as if he says to his father, I have no need of you. You are dead to me. I can do this thing called life all on my own. And he travels to a far-off country. The older son resentfully says to the father, Look at all I've done on my own. I have worked like a slave. I have obeyed every command all by myself. I don't need your party. And essentially the older son says to the father, I have no need of you. In both the opening and the closing scenes of the story, we get this image of independence. Two boys who are trying to be completely independent. I can do it myself. I don't need another thing or another person. Both pictures found at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story are tragic. Because both of those images, both of those sons, miss the valuable relationship with the father. When my girls were young, in early elementary school, we had a neighbor that just lived a few houses down that would invite them to come to his kitchen to bake bread during the Christmas holidays. Now, I know my children. I remember how they were when they were young, and I just can't imagine that they were much help in the baking process. (laughs) But wow, What a great lesson that he gave them. He would say to them when he invited them, he would say, I could use your help. I could use your help kneading the bread. Would you come and help me? It takes a really long time. I hope you will come and help. Now, I am certain that my children have always known that they need adults. I mean, I make that point to them pretty regularly, and the other adults in their life do as well. We give them instruction. We provide food and shelter for them. We give them clean clothes. They know that they need us. I want them to know that. But to learn at an early age that they are needed as well, 
to learn at an early age that they are valued, wow, that's a big lesson. And if they didn't get it from me, they may not have gotten from me. I'm really thankful that they got it from my neighbor. Hearing that you are valued and needed essentially teaches the reciprocal nature of love. That it takes two to love. That you can't just be loved, but love eventually gets returned. Love is a relationship. When talking about the concept of the Trinity, Father Richard Rohr teaches that for God to be good, God can just be one. But for God to be love, God would have to be two, at least two. And then he says, for God to be joy, then God has to be three. And that's the concept of the Trinity. But it doesn't just apply to God. That idea of good and love and joy can apply to you and me as well. Uh, If I want to just be good, I can do that all on my own. I've tried for about 47 years. But if I want to experience love, I need another person in that relationship, another being in that relationship. And for there to be joy, then the two of us need a third in the community. One of my very favorite movies from my teen years, it's old, I don't know if you've seen it, is a movie called Raising Arizona. At one point in the movie, John Goodman's character, who is just, he's just broken out of prison, he, he gives this excuse for breaking out of prison. He says, we felt the institution no longer had anything to offer us, right? Yeah. So sometimes that's how we show up in a relationship with another person or, dare I say, with an organization or even a church. A popular Christian author wrote in his blog, Most of the influential Christian leaders that I know no longer go to church. The church is just a university that we've graduated from. What does it have to offer me is essentially what he was writing. What's in it for me? But that's not a setup for love. That's a setup just to judge the institution, to judge the church as being good or bad. Jesus sent the Spirit to a people, a gathered people, not just to a person. And I believe that the promise of the New Testament is that together we are preserved and together we are redeemed. We are a community called to be the body of Christ. The reason that I'm okay with a little discomfort of us sitting in worship this way, looking at one another, is because we are called to be a community. We are called to come together to worship, not to watch a performance, but to worship together and recognize that what each one of us brings is significant. So knowing this truth of connectedness and living it out seems to be two very different things. Seems to be hard to live it out. Easier to know it, more difficult to live it out. And I see three different paths to get there. 
brought out by this parable. The first path to get to the importance of interconnectedness is the path of the younger son. The younger son has to travel through hardship to recognize his need. And sometimes that's true for us. When things get tough, we finally extend our reach outward to other people. I've had that experience. I can remember a couple of years ago, life wasn't so easy for me. And I was describing my circumstances to a friend, how I was strong, I was armoring up, I was just going to get through it. And she said back to me, well, who are you trying to be? Are you trying to be like superhero pastor woman? (laughs) And I thought, no, I don't want to be superhero pastor woman. That's not who I want to be. She continued in our conversation to say to me, you know, Dinah, it's okay for you to be mad and sad and human and to let other people know that. And when she said that, I recognized that I needed other people. And I needed other people to know when my life was difficult, to help me get through it. Sometimes it takes coming to the end of the road. Your shoes are worn down. There's nothing to nourish you in sight. When we get to that place, we recognize that we can't do it alone and we're in need. Losing that dream of independence and wealth and sheer indulgence is what happens to the younger son. And he returns in that moment to the father's embrace, to the father's arms. It's a long path, that first path. The second path, I would say, is equally as long. It's the path of the older son. And the path of the older son back to that place of connectedness, uh, to get there, we have to use our imagination a little bit. Because this parable doesn't tell us what the older son decides, right? This parable is a bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know if he joins the party, if he chooses relationship over independence. He can choose relationship. He's invited to do that. The setting of this parable tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling because Jesus welcomes tax collectors and sinners. Will the audience to this parable, will the scribes and the Pharisees decide to join the party? They are being invited to join the party. Henry Nouwen wrote a book about this parable, and in it he suggested that from his own experience, what might help the older son would be gratitude. As trouble brings clarity to the younger son, he said gratitude would bring clarity to the older son. Now and taught that resentment and gratitude can't exist in the same space. And I think that's true. I think he's right. Try to remember a time when you were truly grateful, when you were experiencing gratitude. Could you in that moment also be resentful? I know you're a talented group, but I don't think many of us are that talented. It's my experience that resentment seems to block my ability to see the gifts that are in my life. 
The trick then becomes to see past resentment, to uncover gratitude when my circumstances suggest otherwise, to look for goodness and beauty when at first glance all I see is ugly, to change the focus. When God says, all that I have is yours, when God says all that I have is yours, in any situation I can ask myself, so where is it? Where is what God is doing? What in this does God have for me? Both the story of the prodigal son and the parable that that Ryan read from Matthew are parables of two sons. Two sons that go two very different ways. And I think they set our minds up for a choice. Like, which son is better? In the Matthew parable, it says that. Which son did the way of the father? Which one is better, son number one or son number two? In the parable of the prodigal son, I'm going to say to you that neither are better. Both are very long roads. During this time of Lent, it's okay to be on a long road. Lent is often a desert time. It's a long road time. And so if you're on a long road home, that's okay. But there is in this parable a third way. The Father's way is the third way. And I want you to hear this morning that that way may very well be the best way, the better way, the shortest path to connectedness, the shortest path to the party You know, the father's right there. He's just right outside the party at the end of the parable. All he has to do is turn around and go back in. He set this thing up. The father appears to be a bit of a partier. To both the younger and the older son, the father's response is, all that I have is yours. So whether it's take your inheritance or come into the party, To both of his children, the father essentially says, all that I have belongs to you. And so that's a response of generosity. That is not only just generous, but that's extreme or extravagant generosity. When theologian Alexander Shia was teaching the church staff a few weeks ago, he referred to this parable as the prodigal father, and I thought, oh, he misspoke. That's a shame. Poor Dr. Shia, he misspoke. <laughs> but he meant to call this parable the prodigal father because it is the father who spends everything. It is the father who gives way too generously, foolishly even. In retelling this story, Ellsworth Callis says, The father gives those kids too much for their own good. The father spoils them. The younger son goes to the devil and the older is mean-spirited. The fruit of that family, he writes, falls far, far from the tree. It's as if in this story, the father errs on the side of kindness, which seems like foolishness. Because what you and I know is that when you're generous, other people can take advantage of you, and other people will take advantage of you. Author Philip Yancey decided to spend two weeks reading the Bible 
And so he went to Colorado to do this. He got a cabin in the mountains and just took his Bible with him. And he decided to read straight through from front to back. And when he was finished, he wrote that the Bible is not a collection of rules and decrees. But instead, he said, the Bible is a story of a jilted lover. (laughs) He said, why would God, who created all, subject himself to such humiliation? What Philip Yancey discovered, I think is true, that that's God's way. It's the way of the cross. It is humiliation. It is sacrifice. It is foolishly giving everything. It is that stance that we find in this parable. All that I have is yours. God is that way so that I can know love. So that I can experience love. And when God gives generously to me, that means that I then have plenty to give. There's a story that I remember from my childhood. And if you're my age or younger, I bet you heard it as well. I bet it was read to you. If you're older than me, maybe you read it to your children. There are only two characters in this story. A boy And a tree. The boy loves the tree. And in this story, because it's a children's story, the tree loves the boy too. Yes. Over the course of time, the boy takes apples from the tree to sell. He takes branches from the tree to build a house. And he takes the trunk of the tree to build a boat. When the boy is an old man, he returns just to sit and rest on the stump of the tree And there he stays. And then the author of the book writes, and it's then that the tree is finally happy. When I first heard this story, I knew that I was the child, taking all that I could, traveling that long journey home. But now I know that I want to be the tree, not giving resentfully, but giving freely. When you live that way, the journey to the party is just a step or two. It is that place of all that I have. All that I have is yours. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. You have given all. You give all. We seek to know what you know and to be as you are. In trouble, Lord, might we know that you are with us. When we find ourselves in the midst of injustice, would you shine a light on all that is good so that we can see clearly and exist in gratitude. Help us find the long journey home. Might we lose our lives to gain them, Lord, that we might fully know our identity as your sons and your daughters, that we might bear your likeness and enjoy your celebration. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.